Let me welcome in my partner, Kyle Schubacher, my ministry cohort here at KSU. How are you doing today, Kyle? Uh, doing really well. Yeah, excited to, to be on here, excited to get this podcast going and just to talk about ministry and life and what's affecting our students. So it should be a really great time. Awesome, awesome. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, so today we're talking about transitions. Um, the transition season has been upon us since February, it seems. Uh, we rolled into 2020 with high expectations and then the pandemic hit, right? So how was it for you transitioning into the new year with hopes and expectations and then seemingly having everything screeched to a halt and having to pivot and switch lanes? Yeah, uh, that is a great question. I think coming into 2020, we were really excited about ministry. We were excited about what was going on with FCA. We were excited about the opportunities that God had opened up on the athletic fields for us to be with coaches and players and to be present. We were taking a big group to Jubilee and we're just feeling really good about everything going on. Yeah, and then Jubilee was a great time. And then, yeah, within really within like two weeks of Jubilee, all of a sudden this pandemic that we kind of heard about uh, was now coming to the U.S. and people weren't really sure what was going on. And I still remember the meeting that you, me, Kaylee, and Chris had Starbucks. I don't know if you remember this, but like we just found out that students were going to get sent home for two weeks uh, for spring break instead of for one. They're like, we're just going to give it two weeks. Students will come back. Things will get back to normal. And I remember sitting at Starbucks and saying, this just feels like an overreaction. Like, is this, is this really real? And we were saying, this will probably be a week or two. Students will be back. Everything will get back to normal. You know, it'll be fine. And I remember having that conversation. And then two weeks happen, students aren't coming back. And we just have to, like, completely rework the way that we're looking at our, our job, the way we're interacting with students, the way that we're, like, experiencing the world. It's just, I remember how difficult that was, um, especially for us, when we found out that sports were being canceled, because we, we thought that athletes were still going to be here, even though the regular students were gone. And I remember I found out football specifically, like, being canceled. I just remember thinking, like, what am I going to do? Like, that's, you know, 25, 30% of my work is, like, being with the team. Uh, so I remember in that moment just feeling, like, super confused and just a little lost kind of coming to that moment. How were you feeling kind of during that little, those first few weeks? Oh, dude, I was like everybody else like you know we're, we're not sure what's going to be happening not sure what's going on but uh let's uh let's wait and see let's be as safe as we can and hopefully in the next couple months it'll calm down i never really thought it was going to be just a couple weeks uh just because i have contacts in the military for my time served and people i knew who were pretty high up as doctors at the cleveland clinic and just from what i was hearing like when they were taking some pretty drastic precautions. Um, there was talk that the National Guard was going to come in. We were thinking about rations. Stores were going to be closing down. So it was kind of a kind of leery of this whole, like, well, if everybody does this, put their masks on, everybody obeys the quarantine. Actually, this was before masks. Everybody just obeys the quarantine. We'll be back in a few weeks. And I just, I don't know, I always had this looming feeling that, I'm not sure that's going to happen that way. Um, 
so yeah, it was it was an interesting time and the quarantine itself, I mean, it lasted for a while, but it didn't last like as long as you we we were thinking like extreme we would be quarantined until September, right? Um, but that thankfully that didn't happen, but I mean nobody knew it was going to play out this way. Uh, as far as here on the ground, I mean, obviously the experts were preparing for this and have been preparing for this, but, but we, we didn't yeah. know how it was going to affect our college life. But let's backtrack for a moment. Going back to Jubilee, yes. um, just so people can get like a sense of how things have changed. Uh, why don't you explain what Jubilee is, how many students we normally expect? Because um, I know our campus is a campus of 25,000 students, roughly. Um, between commuters and people who move into the dorms, people who move into apartments off campus. I think we have a student population of roughly about 25,000 students here at Kent. Yes. Um, so what's Jubilee like uh, for our organization? Uh, yeah, so Jubilee, for those of you that maybe have heard it and aren't super familiar with it, or even those that have been before that may be listening, Jubilee is our yearly conference that the CCO runs. And it is really two and a half days, Friday to Sunday. Uh, it takes place in Pittsburgh. And there's about usually between three and 4,000 college students from all over the country that gather there. And they gather there really to, to hear the gospel message, uh, the four-part gospel, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And then in between that, they get to take time uh, to really learn what does it mean to take my faith to take what I know about Jesus and to execute that in my sports, like on the field, in my major, when I'm thinking about work post-college, in my relationships. So it says, hey, we recognize that the gospel is all of life. It's all encompassing, that God cares about everything from the, from the, from the very smallest things to the biggest things in life and says, it matters. And I've called you into this world to be light bringers and restorers. So it's an amazing weekend that, that oftentimes challenges our students to think far beyond maybe what they've been taught or what they've kind of thought about Christianity. It's, it's more than just, okay, I accept Jesus as my savior and that's it. I can just do whatever I want. But it's no, that's really just the launching point. Like we need to know Jesus. We believe in what he did on the cross. And then from there, Jesus says, God says, go out world like be light bringers be restores in every field and every relationship and every aspect of life what have you been seeing as far as how we've been able to connect with community uh and build that up because it was at one point it was like a novelty right uh yes the, the zoom thing like okay we can we can still meet we can do this thing it'll be cool for a few weeks i'll come up with like these crazy virtual backgrounds right uh it's weird right like yeah i can't be the only one that, that, that that's weird uh, and then all of a sudden like next thing you know you're on zoom meetings for four to five hours a day six hours a day right it's yeah five different days of zoom meeting and you're just like all right i'm done when can we get back to seeing each other in person uh, mm -hmm. so like has it changed your opinion on the importance of what we do of the importance of seeing people being with people uh whether it's with students or just you know even with you and your wife like how have you guys managed to get closer uh, yeah no that's 
Great questions. And I think those are those are the questions that that we all people all over the world have been asking themselves and then trying to figure out. I think it hasn't necessarily made me think that our work is more important, but I think it has highlighted the areas of our work that is really significant. Mm. Um, so when we think about community, the physical aspect of being together, I think in many ways we took that for granted, right? That every right. week we could come together in a group of 40, 50, 60, 70, yep. give hugs, shake hands, laugh, dance, you know, hear talk, like just be together. And when you get so used to that for a long time, you really realize that you do begin to take those things for granted. You know, coming into this, this fall semester, one of the early things that we knew was going to happen is that we were not going to be allowed to meet at least in person as a big group. Right. Many universities were being pretty clear about that, that we were, they were going to be careful. They were going to limit organizational meetings and events to very small numbers and maybe not even allow it depending yep. on where you were at. So we kind of came into the semester saying, Hey, things are going to be different, Yeah, but we want to try and still create spaces for people to be together in that human connection, just from conversation with students that they were craving that like one-on-one -on -one stuff. They're like, can we just get together? Even if we like have to wear masks or we can't like hug each other, can we just go on a walk? Can we sit outside? Can we just be in the same place, right? right? Like that is what they wanted. That's what we wanted uh, and we're feeling so we said, okay, we get the sense that the Lord is really saying, hey, this is an area of need for our students. And this is an area that we can actually be a blessing in right. and, and care for our students well. So that has been one of the big things that we've seen this fall is that we said, hey, you know, not that big groups aren't good and aren't important, but that's something that we don't even need to worry about right now, really in any major way. And we want to say, let's figure out how we can meet with students one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, and specifically with small groups of people that were all already together, right? So, hey, football guys, football guys, you know, the basketball teams, the volleyball ladies, like, what does it look like to take those communities that you're already in and, like, focus there and yeah. say, hey, let's make sure that we are caring for, for these people that we are around, that we're with. And it really kind of brings to mind... Uh... Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, where it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can mm -hmm. be trusted to keep his promise. And it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another mm -hmm. to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage yes. one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And it's like, that has really been highlighted for me this last uh, six months, right? It's this... You know, it's like that old saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like, yeah, I could see you every week, right? Or, hey, I saw you at church, or, hey, I saw you at the store, and I could see you without a mask, right? I'm just seeing right. people's faces, and now we're trying to keep people safe and making sure that we're socially distancing, that we're masking up, uh, and we're doing what we can to take care of the least of these. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and like you said, it's the small group has has become the life blood of what we're doing, which the, life, the small group has always been the life of the church. I mean, going back 
looking all through the Bible with just what we do at church, it's where you get to do life with people. And that's mm-hmm. how you encourage those people, right? It's not just about, I got to meet in this building every Sunday and that's that, or I can only see you at class and that's it. But it's like, okay, how do we safely meet with one another? And mm-hmm. now we have those things like technology that can really open up that space where I might not be able to physically be with you in the room, but I'm with you in the room. My voice is there. You can see me and all that. And it really, then I'm thinking about, okay, how much, I don't want to say more effective, but really that spark of the social justice outcry that has really hit, uh, over the last few months and again it's nothing new under the sun it isn't as if these incidents of police shootings were are new it's not as if uh anything that we had seen as far as you know anti anti anti-black anti-people of color anti the social justice side of it where you think of militia groups like the proud boys uh Nothing, none of that is new, right? We've had the KKK for as long as we can remember. Um, right. Yeah, it, none of that's new, but the fact that it's being recorded and disseminated where the voice of a, people that have gone long and saying, hey, we are being oppressed and people have always had the chance to say, and people are still doing it today, like, oh, okay, well, let's get over that. Or I don't have mm-hmm. to pay attention to that, but now it's right out in front of everything. I mean, the world had stopped. Right. And then all of a sudden protests were happening well that that took center stage mm-hmm. and it's unique in this time because we're used to being entertained 24 hours a day we're used right. to being able to distract ourselves and the timing of it all but you you really had nothing else to distract you from the fact that a police officer put his knee on george floyd's neck for nine minutes mm-hmm. right you, you you had nothing to distract you from the horror of Hamad Arbery jogging and getting gunned down, right? being down, yep. hunted down, and then murdered in the middle of the street. Um, of two young students in Atlanta just trying to make it home for their curfew and being dragged out of their car and tasered to death. Right? It's of Jonathan or Jonathan Blake or Jacob Blake. Sorry, you know breaking up a fight and being shot seven times on the way to his car right it's these things all of a sudden hit center stage in a way that i don't know that they've ever been able to hit before because hmm. um, I mean, if, if you look at the civil rights movement of the 50s 60s 70s right uh there wasn't this 24 7 distraction that was always there right and, but now that was taken away for a moment and now you had to focus on here it is here's what we've been saying here's what colin kaepernick has been saying and it's not just about one athlete but think of what he went through right how mm-hmm. his message was hijacked and made to be all about the flag when it had nothing to do about the flag right right it, it, it really kind of highlighted how we as a ministry group a body of christ need to take this hebrews 10 more seriously more to heart right it's how do we gather together and encourage one another. How do we keep each other? Because any one of these things on its own is exhausting, right? <laughs> right. It's exhausting knowing that millions of people are out of work and you could be next. 
Right. There was a time where we didn't even know what ministry was going to look like on campus. Are we going to even be back? Are we going to have jobs? <laughs> right. Did we even have work? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so that on its own is shaking our foundation, right? If we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Our basic core needs are being foundationally shook, right? That, that need for security isn't there. Um, not sure if at any point you go out and you do the wrong thing, you can contract COVID, right? And yeah, a lot of people are surviving it, but a lot of people are dying from it. Right? And the hospitals are being overrun. So it's, yeah, it's just for me, it really highlighted Hebrews 10, 23 through 26 of just how important it is to have not just anybody around you, but people who are encouraging you. Uh, mm-hmm. people who share that same spirit with you um, and to also reach out to those who are isolated and lonely right i mean it's how many of how many of our students had to go home to situations where it was life or death for lack of a better term right how many of our students had to go home and support their families mm-hmm. uh, take up extra jobs how many had to go into unstable situations, right? Where this college community was a way to get away from all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but just transitioning into uh, a different side of the topic, um, the online church, right? So now churches can't meet on Sundays inside because we're unsure if it's safe or not, right? The mandates say, hey, everybody's got to mask up. Don't gather in groups larger than 50 and all that. So now we move to outside, right? Um, Mm -hmm. In your opinion, like, has that been beneficial for the church? Has that, what has that added or taken away from this Hebrews 25 model? When you say, uh, what is it added? You mean like what the church is with not being able to meet in person online? Yeah, has it has it added to this sense of let's not forsake the meeting, right? Let, let's, let's continue to meet together. Uh, are we doing that at any cost where we're not being safe or has it in your eyes been a good thing of yeah, we're, we're still trying to meet together. Maybe some people aren't taking the precautions they should, or maybe they are. Um, just what have been your feelings around it? Yeah, another great question. I would say it's been, it's been difficult uh, to be wise through this situation, right? And to figure out where is wisdom and seeking the Lord's guidance through it. Because we know the church obviously is important is significant, right? It's what Jesus came to set up. But we also know that the church is in a building, right? The church is the body of believers. Now, yes, like the body of believers meet in places, right? So for us as a college ministry, one of those places we met were was SBA, right? Our big group meeting uh, for a lot of churches in, in America, it's Sunday mornings. So I think what has been difficult is, is knowing how do we, how do you wrestle with this? We need to care for our community. We need to care for the believers in our community and also care that our non-believers that we're seeking to, to, to share life with and share the gospel with, while also recognizing that you don't have to meet on a Sunday morning to, to meet, right? You don't have to meet on a Sunday morning to, to have community, to have the church. 
So I'll say for myself and for Nicole, my wife, we have wrestled with what that looks like. And I will say for us, we have continued to go to church exclusively online up to this point. And that's been partially just our own decision because one, we recognize that we see some students throughout the week and we want to do our best to not put our students at risk or the teams that we're connected with at risk uh, by potentially going to a place where maybe where there are lots of people, maybe some people that who knows, maybe don't aren't masked up or maybe who don't realize they've interacted with somebody who's had, who has had COVID and they're coming. Uh, and we've also thought about it from like a parental standpoint. Like we both have parents that are older and we have seen them handful of times like over the last few months and say like hey we want to take care of them even though we have parents that are healthy they are older and we recognize that this virus has like disproportionately affected people like above 60 um, that's been a place where uh, the virus has done uh, a lot of damage so we've been thinking about like like every decision, every everything that we do it has an impact, a consequence, and not always a negative consequence, but has a consequence. So we have been wrestling and thinking about what does it look like to, to be in this time well. We've been grateful for online church, grateful that we've still been able to like be connected to sermons and, and music through that stuff. And we've had like a handful of friends that we have been able to see uh, kind of that small community that we have um, like in Kent that we've been able to see on and off and be able to talk and, and be engaged with. But I do think the the one place that I have struggled with is for those people that maybe don't have the communities outside of church. They don't have like friends where they live. They don't have strong relationships with family. And I think that's where it can be like, what do we do to make sure that we're taking care of those people? I think you said like the loneliness that the virus can cause Right. Like we've seen, unfortunately, one of the negative effects of, of the quarantine and some of these things has been like higher spikes in depression and anxiety. Um, we've even seen struggles around like suicide and, and, and those things. And, and those are things that, that we have to care about as well. Right. We want to care about the physical health of people with COVID, but we also want to care about the mental and spiritual health of people that maybe struggle with depression and anxiety. And, and I think the one thing I've learned is that this is not like a black and white issue, right? Like this is great, this is hard. This is difficult to, to care for people. And I know one of the things that you and I did with our students, especially early on in quarantine, was say like, hey, reach out to people on a regular basis, especially those people that you think like are gonna, are gonna be struggling alone or you know have gone to like a hard family situation that don't have lots of friends. And that's where we, at least as individuals, can say like, hey, God's given me this community, has put these people in my life. And even though I can't change everything, I can do my best to like love those people that I think might be struggling, um, that, are, that are having a rough time of it during this. But it's interesting to see how that is now going to change going forward and whatever this normal is, because... It's interesting when people say, let's go, I can't wait to go back to normal. I don't think we're ever going back to any kind of normal. Like this right. is such a, a worldwide life shifting event. Like it's touched everybody in every single area of life. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I think we're now defining what 
I don't even know if normal will even be a thing anymore. Uh, it'll just be a constant adapting to the changing circumstances. Um, we're going to have a special guest, uh, Pastor Maurice Coffey, um, from Union Community Church, join us here in a minute, um, who is a pastor, has also spoken at a lot of our FCA gatherings for the last few years, uh, has been intimately connected with college students here at Kent State University, um, has two children himself who have gone through college, uh, but is also right in the middle of how do we uh, care well for people as the church, as the pastor of a church. So it'd be interesting to get his thoughts on all of this and the importance of ministry and how they have been handling this. Um, so we'll take a short break and then we'll come back with uh, Pastor Maurice. Welcome back. We are going to be joined here in a second by Pastor Maurice Coffey of Union Community Church in Painesville, Ohio. Uh, he's a special man to us. He has been pouring into the FCA ministry here at Kent State University over the last, I believe it's three to four years. He can correct me if I'm wrong once he joins us. Um, but this is someone who is a godly man who cares about students, who cares about walking with them. Uh, making an influence in their lives, but also cares about calling out uh, God's vision for their lives and empowering them um, to walk in his steps daily. So uh, without further ado, Pastor Maurice, thank you for joining us. Well, what an introduction. <laughs> Look, he's a godly man. man. You got me searching my life over here like, am I really godly? <laughs> Man, you put you laid it on thick. Uh, I gotta, I, you, you, I gotta uh, live up to the hype now. But Amen. no, I appreciate you guys having me. As, uh, as always, it's good to be with you, uh, even in this forum, and uh, just happy to to see y'all face again Amen. after so many months. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me. Happy yeah, to be here. Appreciate it, and I always say like. If Moses was a godly man and he was a murderer, I feel like we're doing all right. <laughs> right. We are right. Yeah. We are right. We okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there's grace if you do. <laughs> For sure. Uh, For sure. But uh, yeah, so we have been touching on transitions this episode, uh, and just touching on the pandemic, keeping it current. Um, I mean, this is something we all thought was going to end in a few weeks. Uh, yeah. Really, nobody knew what was going to happen, but we figured, all right, we'll quarantine for a little bit, and then we'll be back at it by the summer. The heat was supposed to knock all this out, and yeah. here, here we are in October, right. still trying to yeah. make space and sense of all this. Um, right. So, yeah. so how has it been for you uh, personally uh, with all of this, uh, with all the transitions since, I guess, 2020 really kind of started? It's been a lot going on. Yeah, so... Man, 2020 started with a bang for me. Um, I had served at my church under my father, who was a senior pastor since 94, 93, 94. Um, and so about 26 years, he was a senior pastor. In the last 12, I got an opportunity to serve under him and assist him. And about five years ago, we started talking about him retiring, transitioning the ministry to me. 
Uh, two years ago, he pretty much just turned the church over to me. He remained the senior pastor. Uh, then this January, he passed the baton to me, um, and I became the senior pastor, which still blows my mind that somebody want me to be their senior pastor, but that's beside the point. So 2020 was like super, you know, uh, was just like started with a bang. I got married in 2019. So I, you know, I got, I got the woman of my dreams. And then in 2020, you know, we're blessed to start pastoring this church and she's right alongside of me pastoring it, you know, and, and 31 days after he passed me the baton, he died. So, January 26th, he passed me the baton. No, yeah, January 26th, he passed me the baton. January 25th, he passed me the baton. February 26th, he passed away. Um, so that really rocked our world because um, my father's always been a very, very big part of my life. Um, mm. You know, I call him my hero. And then uh, February 26th, he passed. May, March 7th, we had his funeral. Uh, and then one week later was when the world shut down. Oof. So here I am. I have this this new group of people who mm. are trying to figure out, do we want him to pastor us? You know, like right. we let his dad pastor us, but do we want him to pastor us? He's young. He's going to make some changes. You know, he's wild. They got a chance to observe me. They knew I didn't fit the traditional mode of pastors, you know, mm -hmm. um, of, of what especially in our city, you know, my dad was a lot more conservative than I am. Um, and so, you know, people are already on edge because transition itself produces a tremendous amount of anxiety in people. Mm -hmm. um, and so people were just like, what's going on? And then he died and the pandemic hit. And so, <laughs> right. you know, we can't even be together during the transition. Like right. it was just, Nuts. So, but to give you some context, so last February, during one of our ministerial staff meetings, I pitched the idea to my father, my mother, my wife, uh, and we had two other of our staff pastors in there of having, of developing a virtual ministry. Mm. Um, I want to do a virtual leg of ministry because we have tons of people across the nation who are still connected to our ministry was like, hey, we love some additional content. So I'm like, cool, let's do it. But that was a crazy idea for people who had been doing church this one way for yeah. their whole life. So it didn't go anywhere. I put it on the back burner. I just kept developing it. So uh, March 15th was the last Sunday we gathered. And uh, March 22nd was the first Sunday we started virtual ministry. <laughs> and, you know, so it's been a growing process, you know. Uh, but God has been faithful because, man, during this, our people have stayed engaged, mm. uh, which is a blessing. Right. Um, they've continued to give, which is a blessing because the mortgage company doesn't care if it's a pandemic. Like right. we still owe money on this building, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, but we've been able to we've been able to bless financially some area pastors. Mm. Uh, we just sent some random checks to them. Uh, we've been able to uh, bless a couple single moms who fell into some some dire circumstances, homelessness, um, yeah. just couldn't couldn't keep things together. So we've been able to do that. We actually been able to replace the entire HVAC system in our church. Wow, um, which is which is a major major project. We have a yeah. huge building, um, you know. So we've still been, and we're actually getting ready to renovate our sanctuary, um, you know. So we've been able to do some things for the ministry 
as well as do some things in our community um, to continue to try to try to do ministry in, in such a weird time. So if I was to sum up how it's been in one word, it's been absolutely ridiculously crazy, um, you know, with a capital K. Um, but through it all, God has showed himself to be faithful, man. Like he just continues to show that if I said it, then I'll do it. Mm. One of my favorite songs through this by Maverick City Worship is a Maverick City music is he's a man of his word. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, that, that song has has been a mainstay for me and he's he's proven it. So yeah, I mean that's kind of been my year. It's been, you know, personally challenging, uh, mm. you know, pastorally challenging, you know, and of course with any transition you lose people. Yeah. Um, you know, some people left. Um, you know, some people came, mm. you know, and so, and there's still some people trying to figure out what they want to do. <laughs> right. You know, and that's okay. And yeah, that's right. all right. Uh, that's all right. So, you know, but our virtual ministry has grown by leaps and bounds. I, I have to give a tremendous amount of credit to my wife. She is mm. super, super creative. Um, she is very, very creative. And um, she's really added, you know, some color because with, with virtual ministry people's attention span is already i mean they're in if they're in the physical building of the church it's easy for them to text and get on facebook and all of that now they're watching church on their device it's so much easier and they're at home and you know and so um so she's done a lot of things to just keep Mm -hmm. people engaged and it's been great man it's been great it's been great but it's been crazy (laughs) Yeah, it's that's awesome to have a partner, man. It's uh, yes. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. and the happens yep. to be the one you love, and nothing wrong with that. That's uh, there it is, right. there it is, yeah, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. It yeah, my wife turned me on to that Maverick City music. I think a couple months before we had gotten married, and I'm like, I don't, how do I not keep up with any kind of music? I feel like I've been listening to the same 10 songs for the last yeah, decade, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. like oh listen to this and i'm like i have this whole new world of worship music and i'm sitting here and like Man. okay maverick city is they're yeah. on another level right spontaneous worship i'll take it yeah yeah so uh you touched on yeah it being a crazy with a capital k kind of year uh with the virtual ministry taken off how has how has it been trying to be the body of Christ um, and shifting people's maybe mindsets from thinking I just have to show up to a church building to you can be the body anywhere you go? Or has that not been an issue in your in the church? No, it's, it's definitely an issue um, for so long. And I believe church wasn't church. It was a crutch for a lot of people. Mm. Because evangelism looked like this. Come go to church with me. Mm. That was evangelism. Discipleship was come to church with me. Come to youth group with me. Come to men's fellowship with me. You know, so our evangelism was not to share the good news. It was to take people to a place Mm. where somebody was already sharing the good news. And so I believe we've seen uh, the growth of the church stunted because of that, because if people weren't taking the responsibility of evangelism personally, mm-hmm. they were they were they were shifting that responsibility to the pastor uh, or to the church leaders. And so, 
I believe one of the biggest blessings that'll come out of uh, out of this whole pandemic is if people have a true relationship with God, they recognize that they have a personal responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It is not it is not the organization, the church, the organization's responsibility to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a personal responsibility of every person that's what's part of the organization. And so, um, so I believe that, that there's been, there's been the proverbial cover has been ripped off of Christianity and our laziness. I think we got mm. lazy. Yeah. Um, and in an age of social media, it makes you even more lazy because you think evangelism is just posting a, a, a cute meme with some Christian saying on it. Right. You know, we sure. think discipleship is just, you know, you know, we think discipleship is just getting someone to the to the baptism pool where mm -hmm. discipleship doesn't start until they come out of the water and dry off. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it's um, it's it's challenged. It's really challenged those that have an authentic relationship with Christ. It's challenged us to evaluate what have we done? I tell my leaders all the time or I've told them several times. And this is before I was even senior pastor. If the church doesn't grow, it's not the pulpit's fault. Mm. That's good. It's not the pulpit's fault. Now, as the as the as the the person who is who is housing the pulpit, I have a responsibility to ensure that I'm preaching the word of God. Mm -hmm. Right? I have a responsibility. I have I have to ensure that I'm responsible with that platform. But too often we've blamed the pulpit for the we've blamed the pulpit for a church's decline and we've given the pulpit credit for the church's growth. Mm. Churches grow because of the individual pew members taking on the onus and the responsibility to share the good news with people no matter where they go and to be the light. And yeah. so it's it's our responsibility, yes. every one of us that belongs to a local, local assembly. If the church fails, it's every person's fault in that congregation. Mm. Because essentially, if you think about it, if we want, if each of us evangelize and want one person to Christ mm. every year, our church would double in size every year. Yeah. Just one, mm. if we just did, if we got one mm. person and there's people that are sitting in my church and your church and churches across the world that have been there one, five, 10, 15, 20 years, and they aren't personally responsible for bringing anyone to Christ. And so yeah. it um, it's it's a challenge. This pandemic has challenged every individual. And if you think about it, so I just I, I just preached out of Joshua. I preached in the entirety of September from the book of Joshua. But if you think about in Joshua chapter one, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves for the Lord is going to do something amazing tomorrow. Every person had the responsibility to sanctify themselves. Yeah. I can't sanctify you, Michael. I can't sanctify you, Kyle. I have to sanctify myself. And so what this pandemic has taught us is I have to worry about me, mm. right? And what my responsibility is. And so, you know, so so that's that's been the challenge as far as, you know, as far as ministering to a body of people 
uh, collection of people to try to get them to really take their responsibility. But being the hands and feet, the second part of your question is it's tough because people now are in these isolated silos and it's hard to know where the needs are, yeah. you know? So we, as a, as a leadership team, we've had to, we've had to look for areas. We went out to giant Eagle and passed out 25 gift cards to people. Mm. We just stood at the entrance and as people walked in, we passed them out and you wouldn't believe how scared people were. Like we were given, mm. like, like we had COVID on a car, like we were giving them COVID, you know, but it's just, it just goes to show man, people aren't used to receiving. And, yeah. you know, but so we've been just looking for ways to actually impact our community, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that's been the biggest challenge is just where are the needs? Right. Yeah. You know, you might find, I, I love that you talked about like the church being like kind of falling into like the crush specifically like Sunday morning that like, oh, I just, you know, I just come to church and then I've done kind of my thing, right? I, I like that you brought that up and the idea of, you know, I guess I would, I would use the word ownership, but right, like taking that and saying like, hey, my personal responsibility, my ownership, like yep. if I am yep. going to be committed to this or I say that I'm committed to the gospel, right, to Jesus Christ, then like my ownership isn't like, Hey, come to church with me and I'm gonna sit in the back and just pretend like nothing's happening. But it's like, hey, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna say, like, Lord, where is it that you what is it where you have something for me? Right. Am I like really being bold in my sharing, being bold in my love, being bold in my compassion, uh, you know, taking risks, right? Like doing those things. So I love that you said that because I think you're right in the sense that this time has completely like on the cover off has shown some really significant areas of failures within like the church in America and the places where we have just been lazy, right? Like you use that word, been absolutely lazy. And it's cool to hear the way like you as a church uh, have been trying to say like, hey, we want to be out there. We want to be like seeking to love. We're trying to help our church members take ownership, right? Take that personal responsibility. I think that's like a great appreciated you like bringing that up as we we're sitting here because i've had some conversations with people about those things over the last few months yeah yeah it's 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 challenged man it's challenged me uh to my core to to consider what more i could do on a personal level because the great commission was the great commission and the great commandment um which we all as christians should be familiar with but the great commission and the greatest commandment was not given to a person with a title. Yeah. It was given to everyone that professes Christ as their Lord right. Savior. So, you know, it's important that we take that call serious. And, you know, you think about it, Kyle, I was thinking about you saying invite someone to church and you sit in the back. You think about it. Now, if you come to my church and you've never been to church before, you know nothing about Jesus, like, but you just, you see a person, they live in a certain way, you want some of that. So you're like, yo, what's up? You all right, let's go to church. If you come to my church, when you leave, there's going to be so many different emotions going on with you. Like the person that invites someone to church has to be willing to do the follow-up work mm -hmm. because by the time they leave church, even like, it's no telling what might happen in my church, right? We might all fall out crying because, you know, we sing and you know my name, you know, or we recognize how good God is. Somebody might start shouting someone might start speaking in the nuts 
unknown time. Like, it, I mean, and if you aren't church, you would be like, yo, y'all are weird, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, yeah. it's, there's personal responsibility that comes if you're going to invite someone to church is you need to sit down and have a conversation or conversations after, because even if it's not a whole bunch of weird emotional stuff going on, what about when you hear terms like grace and justification and yes. reconciliation right. and mercy and your know, redemption? And we start throwing all these words out there and people are like sitting there like, what in the, what in the heck does that mean? You know, right, and like, they leave that. I have no context for this. Like, yeah, don't have a clue. So we have to be willing to take that next step mm-hmm. and spend time with that person to kind of help walk them through that transition. Uh, because going from a life without Christ to a life with Christ, there's nothing, there's no, there's no, um, there's no playbook for that. Like, there, I mean, no, let me not say playbook. There's no cookie cutter, mm-hmm. one way, one size fits all process because everybody comes out of different, different background. And right. so right. we have to be willing to do the hard work, but it, it takes us being personally responsible to doing it. And I love what you, yeah, that, that, that really opens the doors, the, the personal responsibility. Um, so now back in May, right, so everything is closed. Quarantine is hit. Everybody is stuck at home. Businesses are closed. Can only go to the store. <laughs> Can't get any toilet paper because we went crazy on the toilet paper. No toilet paper. <laughs> no toilet paper or bullets. Oh, bullets. That's toilet right. paper and bullets. We're going to beat this pandemic with Charmin <laughs> and Smith and Wesson. That's right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then, you know, people are screaming around the country, let us open up, let us open up. We, we want to just get back to life as normal, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. The whole globe, the whole world is suffering from this. And the only thing we seem to care about is I need to be able to go to Old Navy. Right? I need to be able to get back to my life as usual um, when everything gets halted. And so at that point, you know, in May, most churches are closed. I think it was like 90% of church doors had to be closed around the country because yeah. nobody really knew what was going on. Uh, but then, you know, you had calls from the White House, Trump saying, you know, I'm not asking all the, I call all the governors to allow our churches and places of worship to open right now, right? And you had some churches opening up. Um, and, you know, and then of course you, you would see there was no regard for spacing and masking and all that. Uh, and, you know, people started getting sick uh, and, and you're seeing this hit. So what would you say to that where, you know, is that a symptom of what we're talking about, that that leaning on the church as a crutch, um, that, that really kind of depending on everything to come from the pulpit, where it's, you know, we need our churches to open, not saying, you know, people don't need a place of worship, but we're relying too heavily on this church building, right? Where, it, you know, we have to be program as usual. We have to have our worship. We have to have this, this, and this go exactly the way we've seen it. Um, and, and now looking into, as the weather gets colder around the country, especially here in Ohio, um, where places have gone to outdoor churches, but now that's going to be less and less of an option. Right? No more of that. No more of that. So <laughs> it, how does the church, how do we as the body of Christ not fall into that, I don't even want to call it fear, but that, that mode of 
this is my comfort zone. I go and sit on the pew and I let the pulpit do the work. I mean, is that a responsibility of the pulpit to, like you said, teach that where we have to go out and sanctify ourselves. We have to go out and be discipling people. Um, if that makes sense, that, that question that I'm looking for there. That's a... Make tons of sense. And I think there's, there's a multi-part answer. So first of all, I'm going to go back to beginning when you talked about you know, country shut down, then we have 45 saying open churches back up. Mm. So part of the problem with Americans is we don't read. Mm. Okay. Uh, we just look at a headline and that's it. And we, we, we form our ideologies and opinions off of one headline. Churches were never closed. Mm. In Ohio, they never ordered churches to close. They came up with recommendations that there should be gatherings of more than 10 people. Right. Um, and that was the recommendation. But the, the governor never put an order in place to close churches. Why? Because people have fought tooth and nail to separate church and state. Mm -hmm. So if any political official or governor or president would be wise to say, I'm not stepping in that hornet's nest, right? Because right. you're talking about all hell being unleashed. You know, I mean, we've seen it unleashed and churches were never closed, mm. you know? So I know some churches who have not, who they never stopped gathering together. Mm. So that's the first thing is read stuff, like do your own research, quit right. depending upon, you know, that guy. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> quit depending on him to yeah. give depending on his tweets mm -hmm. you know he's trying to get reelected like right. let's we got to dig deeper uh when it comes to politics because politicians are always thinking about the next election mm -hmm. so what they say yeah. and do is uh, and i don't care republican or democrat this is politics in america they're thinking about the next election right. you know whether it's them getting reelected or someone from their party getting reelected so that's the first thing we got to stop we got to stop just just you know, uh, looking at headlines and, and running with it from there. Um, so the second thing is um, we got to, church is essential. Not going to sit here and say church is not essential, mm -hmm. but the overall safety of every individual is essential. Um, mm -hmm. Just this past Sunday was the first Sunday that we allowed anyone outside of our essential staff in our building. Mm -hmm. Um I told them at the beginning of it, we were going to slow walk it. We weren't going to rush it. And we're still slow walking it. We only had 20 something people. Everybody was spread out. Um, you know, we just, everybody was in their mask. Um, we're just not going, we're just not going to rush it. And I told my church because we were getting ready to open back up. I think it was July. We had a meeting, my leadership team, we came up with the whole plan. We were going to open back up. And as I was praying, I just couldn't get no peace about it. And I told my mm -hmm. wife I couldn't get no peace about it. And the Lord, the Lord uh, reminded me of when um, when Noah when Noah was in the ark, and uh, when he wanted to see if it was safe to come out, he sent a raven out, mm -hmm. right? And we know the raven the raven returned, right? Mm -hmm. And then when he sent the dove out, the dove came back with a lead. So I said, the raven nor the dove has returned. Mm. The raven being a vaccine, mm. a safe vaccine, and the dove being a cure. Mm. 
Right. We're still in the midst of a flood, you mm -hmm. know? And so with, 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 if, since we hadn't come to that, I was like, we're going to slow walk it and we're going to wait. And I kept an eye on our county numbers and our county has done remarkably well. I think to date, we're still less than 1800 cases since the beginning of this thing. Wow. Um, you know, and we're still, I think we just hit 52 deaths. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, which all of them are sad, but in the scope of how it's been across our nation, we've, we've been doing a, our county's been doing a good job. So, you know, church is essential, but we got to keep people safe and we got to break people's addiction to worship. Now, I know this is, mm. this is, this is, I'm getting ready to, somebody probably getting ready to be like, this, this preacher is a heretic. <laughs> right. uh, I'm getting ready to get <laughs> off. Gonna need so a little bit me, more from you on that break one. This down. Let me break this down. <laughs> so when I say addicted to worship, what happens is too many people are so addicted to a church worship service. Mm. They run in, they get the emotional feeling that they need for that moment and they run out, but nothing changes. Mm. Yep. Yep. So mm. when I talk about worship in that instance, I'm not talking about the lifestyle of worship. Yeah. I'm talking about good music mm. because people really think worship is just a nice slow to medium tempo song, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't understand worship is a lifestyle. Like your life has to be a life of worship. So everything you do, you ascribe worth to the father. So that's all worship. When I, when I talk about worship, it's ascribing worth to something, mm -hmm. you know, and so too many people have used worship as a coping mechanism mm. to just get through the rest of today. That's not worship isn't what, what worship is intended to do. Worship should convict us. Mm -hmm. It should, it should, it should change us. Um, and it, it should convince us that God is real. Yeah. If, if, if you go into worship and you haven't sacrificed anything, then you have in worship. Mm. Mm. Every time you worship God, there has to be a sacrifice. Mm. If you need some, some scriptural context, go to Genesis 22. When, when, when God said, Abraham, get, get your lad, get your sacrifice and material, head out. I'm going to tell you where to go. He heads out. They're on the way. He says, um, he says, Isaac, come with me. We're going to worship. Mm. Not Siri, just is trying to talk. And so when when he sets out and they set out, he says, we're going to worship. Mm. They had to sacrifice something in order for, for real worship to go forward. And so, you know, too many people are addicted to an emotional church experience. Maybe mm. that's what I should have said. We should break people's addiction to the emotional church experience. Uh, because when you worship God in spirit and in truth, there has to be a sacrifice sacrifice present mm. otherwise you got to give something worship right. is all about giving god something and mm. a lot of us when we sacrifice we need to be willing to sacrifice you know our opinion mm. um our 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 ideologies our way of doing things uh we need to be willing to sacrifice you know um our time our talents our treasures you know we need to we got to find a way to sacrifice and i think I don't think the Lord caused COVID. I'm not of, I don't believe people be talking about the Lord allowed COVID like he allowed the flood. And I don't believe that. Uh, but I do believe that God will use this pandemic mm -hmm. 
to to uh, prune and change his people. Mm. Amen to that. I do believe that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do believe that, and so that's where that's where the church the church is 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 at this point. We we can't go back to normal. All of this, you know, like you said, I'm ready to get back to normal. If we go back to normal, then the pandemic was a waste. Mm. Yep. Mm. It was a waste of pain. It was a waste of lives. It was a waste of discomfort. It was a waste of all of that. Like it was a waste Mm. if we go back to normal, you know, and then what we've seen occur in the pandemic with, man, it's like, you know, starting with Ahmaud Arbery, um, you know, and it's just like, you know, and I just seen another brother was was murdered and mm-hmm. it's interesting because this brother was was really out trying to bridge the gap between both sides you know mm-hmm. and and he was he was really fighting for people to come to a common ground you know he wasn't on the black lives matter side per se he wasn't on the all lives matter side per se like like he was really trying to get people to understand and how to come together and Look what mm-hmm. happened, you know. So mm-hmm. all of this yeah. stuff is unfolding. So you mean it's what we want to go back to normal? This is what normal got gets us. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is what normal gets us. And I think the body of Christ, the church, has to become more radical in our approach to Christianity. Mm-hmm. I t- I told my church Sunday, we've been domesticated. Mm-hmm. Like we are a bunch of domesticated Christians. And society put its leash on us, and it just di- di- dictates to us what it wants for us to do. Right. And we we have to we have to break the leashes that society has placed on us, and and become radical because Jesus Christ was radical. Yeah. Yeah. Sure was <laughs> the most radical, right? That, that dude was radical. Right. And I'm glad you you brought up uh, Ahmad Arbery and this. Yeah. Speaking of transitions, because you know, for a lot of Christians the fact that these murders have been videoed and gone viral for lack of a better term. Um, everybody wants to say, Oh, mm-hmm. this is new. This is horrible. I can't believe this is happening. Like this is nothing new under the sun. Nope. This has been going on since it's been going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and communities have been shouting from the rooftops that uh, about police brutality, about suppression. I mean, People want to look to celebrities and all. I mean, if you look at Colin Kaepernick, he was screaming about this four years ago. But even at that point, it was nothing new. He was nothing. He had started learning about it four years ago and said, "Man, I really want to stand up for this." Right. Um, but then, you, on the flip side of that, you've got again forty-five with his hateful rhetoric, his divisiveness. I mean, if you look at the the last debate where he basically issued what would be referred to as a call of arms to white supremacist groups, specifically the Proud Boys, uh, talking about standby and, yeah. and, and, and lock and load and all that. Uh, I always said the church has to lead the way in terms mm-hmm. of justice and equality and equity. Yeah. How, like you say, you know, the pandemic, if we went back to normal, it'd be a waste of all of this pain, right? Yeah. Is it possible for the church to miss the boat on this yet again if we don't corporately repent and lament 
of the church's place in allowing these things to continue unhindered to even almost being the perpetrators of letting society dictate what is going to be the norm as far as racial injustice, uh, inequality, uh, you know, the not holding people accountable. So what can the church do or what should we be looking to as far as our, our heart as a people, as a corporate people uh, in this time to not let it be a waste? Yeah, so a couple things. The first thing is you're right, this is nothing new. Let's just think um, some of the some of the videos and pictures we've seen were on newspapers, they would show uh, mobs of white men, women, and children right. smiling as a dead black body hangs from a yeah. tree behind them. Right. Now yeah. just think a lot of those children that were at those lynching parties mm. are now your mayors, your governors, your senators. Right. They're now politicians. They're now your police chiefs. You know, they're now your mm. county commissioners. Mm -hmm. Like, you yeah. know, and and they don't really, they're now your pastors. They're now your church leaders, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't realize even if consciously you find those acts reprehensible, subconsciously that stuff affects you. It affects uh, yeah. how you see people. It will, it will desensitize you from, you know, seeing a black body murdered because right. you grew mm -hmm. up that was normal, right? Uh -huh. So we got that going on. Um, the second thing is, and, and I'm going to say this, and this is probably going to be very controversial, but so what? It's kind of who I am. Hey, the it. church has probably <laughs> been one of the biggest perpetuators of mm -hmm. systemic injustice and racism um and I, not probably the church has been mm -hmm. uh in our nation's history right um yeah. you know when you got kkk burning a cross um when you got kkk taking picture in in church sanctuaries where jesus saves banners behind them mm -hmm. um and this is a group that still to this day has not has not been the determined to be a hate group um, but mm -hmm. the Black Panthers have and right. Black Lives Matter right. is on its way to being um, you know I mean when you look at when you look at the church's response it's often well everybody just needs to get to Jesus in Jesus mm -hmm. there's reconciliation there's hope but in order to reconcile anything you must first repent for yes. the atrocities right and the whole mm -hmm. act of reconciliation means to make a, a thing or a person whole mm -hmm. so if the church wants to be a leader in reconciliation mm -hmm. in this whole in this whole thing it first has to repent of the atrocities we can't we got to get away from this get over it mentality yeah right? yep don't tell me to get over the atrocity that slavery was and the hundreds and thousands of years of generational generational impact that that has had on black people, mm -hmm. but then say, oh, the Holocaust was horrible. Right. It was horrible. But if we're going to get over slavery, let's get over it all. Don't tell me to remember 9-11. Mm -hmm. You know, what if when it comes to 9-11, do we say all buildings matter? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> right. People didn't die in all buildings. People exactly. died in the World Trade Center. People died uh, in the Pentagon. People mm, yeah. died in those planes. So the church has has it has to break the cycle. And you know what it it what it, where it's going to happen is when people stop marrying their politics and their theo- theology. Mm, yeah, there it is. There. Yeah. Those, yeah. Those should those they should never marry. Jesus was completely against politics. Right. And people want to act like, oh, he said render under Caesar. When, exactly. He separated them. Hmm. So when they talk about separation of church and state, I feel them on that. Like, but from, from not not necessarily in the context in which they talk about it, but I think there should be a clear and distinct picture between our politics and our theology. We should, as Christians, be involved in politics. We should. But at the same time, it should never, ever, ever cause us to waver in our theology. Mm-hmm. It should never cause us to compromise our pursuit of God and everything he has for us. So if the church wants to lead, the church has to be the first one uh, to repent of the atrocities that the church and this country have done in the name of God. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's the other. That's the other thing that really really blows my socks off. It's like they've done it in the name of God. And then the church needs to go about really reconciling everyone. So that means there needs to be programming set up uh, for people from disenfranchised communities uh, mm-hmm. so that they might be able to have better opportunities or the same opportunities. Heck, if you look at some of the, the school systems who are impoverished areas and that are not the lunches that are they are feeding students because everybody's getting free lunch, it's yeah. despicable. Yeah. The disparity is despicable. And that's a microcosm of our education system, mm-hmm. you know. So we need to, we need to, if that means school choice, uh, or if that means holding every school system um, to 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 the same standard and giving them the same resources. Mm-hmm. Just because you live in an area where the median income uh, is eighty thousand and the median um, house value is two hundred fifty thousand, and I live in an area where the median income is 40,000 and the house value is 125,000 does that mean you deserve a better education than I do right yeah yep. so if the church wants to lead the church needs to get on the front end of these discussions and begin to be a resource for people and hold our elected elected officials accountable mm. you know hold them accountable and if they don't want to be held accountable then let's let's lead the charge of voting their tail out right. and raising up some other some other candidates that's willing to do the work uh, the right way. Uh, but the church has got to quit. The church has got to quit perpetuating systemic racism and injustice um, if we ever hope to see our country climb out of that dark hole. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. Well, okay. Especially when uh, I think the latest numbers amongst evangelical Christians was 36% of white evangelical Christians won't even talk about racism, won't even address it as something that still exists, which therein lies the problem. If a large portion is not even willing to acknowledge it, then you've just got people, the church is now dividing on itself. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Watch this. So few years ago for Black History Month, um, we did a Sunday where um, individual kind of put together, I don't, I don't even know what you call it. It wasn't a play. It was like 
four individuals. One represented Tamir Rice, one represented Sandra Bland, um, and it was two more of people who were killed. Hmm. Um, um, uh, what's the boy's name? And uh, oh, the boy in Florida where all of this started. Um, I can see his face. Hmm. Can't think of his name though. He was he went to the store. George Zimmerman killed him. Trayvon Martin. Uh, Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin. Um, somebody was Trayvon Martin. And then I forget who the other one was. But they it was like they all had their own monologue. Mm. And they talked about, I am Trayvon Martin. Yeah. That I went to the score for some TN skill. And they had this they had this this whole thing. There were a couple members of my church at the time who were Caucasian. Sent a long email. They left. First of all, they left. They got mm. up in the middle of it and left. Sent a long email to me. Uh, and basically told us to get over it. Mm. And oh, it's sad because we will never get over anything if we don't first own it. Yep. It's right. like if I if I was if I was an abusive husband mm-hmm. for five years, and in year six I just have an epiphany and I wake up and I stop. I can't just look at my wife and say get over it. Right. Because every yeah. time she every time she, every time she she does something that which I'm not an abusive husband. Let me, let me put that clear. <laughs> Let's put that out but there for every, the people. Hold on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and during domestic violence, Mars, I, I think that's uh, that's horrible. But mm. every time she does something that in the past would have made me abuse her, she's mm. going to be terrified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because she's been conditioned to believe that I'm going to react a certain way. And so until I own it and then work to prove that I'm changed and different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you just don't get over it. So, yeah, right. you know, it's, um, it's a challenge. The church has a lot of work to do in, in our, inside of our own doors. Yeah. Exactly. Inside of our own four walls. And, yeah. you know, it starts with, with acknowledging that these horrific acts have happened. Right. The church has been uh, complicit in a lot of ways to it and still mm. is, um, you know, and the only way we change it is to do something different. Right. Mm. True. Yeah. True. Which is interesting because then I'm thinking about, okay, as the church, you know, the abusive husband situation, Right. We, me and Kyle, we would be just as guilty if we knew this was going on with you and said nothing and just yes. continue yep. to let it happen. But then yep. turn around and say, well, I'm against domestic violence. But yet we have somebody in our own circle who is doing these and we say nothing yep. each and every time. Yep. Right. Or, or, or worse yet, oh, he's not that bad. Or she probably deserved it. What did she do yeah. to bring this on? Right. 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 Victim blaming. Right. Victim. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And we, we, it's such a nasty part of our culture. This victim blaming, um, on a larger scale against an entire race. And even on a smaller scale, I mean, how often do we consistently and constantly blame women? Uh, well, oh, she shouldn't have been God. wearing that or she shouldn't have been out here. Or, it was her fault. Why didn't she get over it? It's like, how, how we, we have to be at the forefront. Oh, you know, right. speaking out against these oh, things right but then people want to 
come and say, well, we shouldn't be talking about these things from the pulpit. We, the church is not the place to talk. The church is the perfect place to be talking about yeah. these things. It's the place. Right. To it's it's it the place where these conversations should originate. Right. Because when, when, when the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery to yeah, Jesus, which I have an issue I have an issue with this, with how we present this story most of the time, because mm -hmm. we say the woman was caught in the act of adultery. So there's two things that I have an issue with. One, she wasn't by herself. Okay, there it is. Nobody can commit Where adultery was that man? alone. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, so yeah. the community protects him, mm -hmm. but they bring her to Jesus for him to, to demonize and destroy. Right. And the second thing is, how you know she was caught in the act of adultery if you wasn't a peeping Tom? There you go. There you go. So you're committing the crime. You're committing a yeah. crime yourself. <laughs> you know, and so that's why I think it's so brilliant that Jesus was like, let him without sin cast the first stone. Mm, right. Because y'all wrong for peeking. Mm. You ain't allowed to peek in people's houses. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Like, so, in the middle of the night. And so, but but it goes to show how women were treated. Uh -huh. It goes mm -hmm. so even when even when you know the, the story of the woman who brought the alabaster box, and they were tripping like, do you know who's touching you? Uh, yes. Well, how do all of you men in here know who she is? Answer that question. Because mm. the Bible told us what her occupation was. How do oh, you now. know what she does? Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it it's it it's a, it shows how historically, even in biblical times, how women were treated as second class citizens. Right. And so mm -hmm. we have this dual fight going on in the church. We have to fight for black and brown bodies to disenfranchise the poor. And we also have to fight for women who till this day, there are a lot of churches churches that will allow the women to work in the kitchen they'll mm. allow the women to teach sunday school yep. they'll yeah. allow the women to serve the pastor they'll allow the women to, to work in the media lead they'll allow the women to work on the hospitality of the usher they allow them to lead worship but mm. they won't let them step in the pulpit to preach a sermon there it is yep. there it is if and, and so my thing is if we're gonna not allow women to do anything to, to not preach a sermon because a woman shouldn't do this then they, then, we, then they shouldn't be doing anything. And if we mm -hmm. remove women out of the church, where in most predominant, I don't know how it is in, in predominantly white churches, but in predominantly black churches, women make up 80% of the membership. Yep. If we remove women out of the church, the American church will crumble and fall. Right. Yep. Mm. But yet, but yet they uphold the church, mm. but yet we, we keep them out of positions of leadership and right. to yep. make matters and to go a step further, the first person to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a, a woman. woman. Say because it, who say was it. the first one to know Jesus resurrected from the grave? Right. God could have let God could have led anybody to that to that tomb. Yep. Where were the disciples? Right. It was his boys. Right. <laughs> yep. You know right. Peter right. was Hide talking it. about. Listen, I'm gonna follow you to the <laughs> end of the world. Yep. I'll die for you. Where were they? Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think we have mm. to be, I think, I think as the church, we got a lot of reconciling to do. Right. We got a lot of repenting to do. Right. You know, and until we, until we make, we, until we make, um, make peace with that, we're going to continue mm. to see the church go through tumultuous times. Mm. 
right. uh, and not have an impact on society that it was designed to have an impact on. And, and, and it's sad, but, but we have to, we have to make those tough calls mm-hmm. and say, listen, we got it wrong. And, and, and now not to just beat up on the church. I see a lot of, of pastors, church leaders, Christians, reconciling and coming to grips with the past of the church. I have a lot of white pastors, uh, not a lot, but a few that I, I talk to and communicate with on a regular basis. And they're asking tough questions now. They're they're making statements before their congregation that is causing them to face a significant amount of resistance within their congregation, but they can no longer sit by and turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as Desmond Tutu said, I believe it was Desmond Tutu, he said, if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. Mm, and so, sir, yeah, you know, and, no, and so we, we, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're silent, then you're complicit. Right. And I see a lot of people waking up and they just no longer can be silent. So that's why I say, if we go back to normal, we've wasted all of this, all of this pain and death mm. and, and all of this destruction that we've seen in our country the last uh, several months, we are wasted all because, Going back to normal means that we go back to being silent and complicit. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is a good word right there. Yes. Great word. Man, we can't it. thank you enough that we're going to have to have you on again because there's a whole yeah. like three or four more episodes we could have went into with that. Just uh, Anytime, man. Anytime. Uh, I don't know how long we've been on, but I feel like I talked forever. But I, can, I can <laughs> no, Not long enough. Not long <laughs> enough, day, man. <laughs> No, we appreciate you and your, and your word, your wisdom. Um, appreciate the love you've been pouring out for our college students. Um, I guess before we before we go, is there any words of wisdom you would give to the college student? I mean, both you and I are still in the mode of studying uh, as we speak. Right. We're still trying to get on this education train and get all we can get. Um, right. In, in this, in this, not wasting the pain. Is there anything you would say to the younger generation that really? hasn't had to I mean just from the standpoint of age some of them have had to go through a lot of hard things in life but when it comes to finding out who they are navigating who they are as young adults and and coming along what would you say to them to to some words of wisdom to not waste their pain and not waste this this time um, that we're in uniquely um, as college young college students uh, 18 to 22 23 yeah i would say three things um lean learn and lead Mm. Uh, lean into the adversity uh one thing that they'll find is that this is not the last time you're going to go through an adversity and really life is all about uh, many m-i-n-i many Mm. pandemics um Mm. my dad said something years ago and it it is i've seen that it is 100 percent true you're either going into a storm, mm. you're in, in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. You're in one of those three phases of life. You're either going in, you're either in the middle, or you're coming out. One of those three phases. So with that being said, you got to be willing to lean into the adversity. Uh, the second thing is you got to be willing to learn from every adverse situation you face. Mm. Um, if you don't learn from it, then you've wasted the pain. God never wastes pain. According to Isaiah 66, he said, I'll never bring you to the point of birth and, and not birth something new. So that lets me know he's not going to let you go through uh, um, labor pains. He's not going to let you go through pain and not produce something new in it. 
but it's important that any adversity we go through, any pandemic you go through in life, um, you have to learn from it. Because the third thing is adversity produces leaders. You have to be willing to lead after you go through something. It does little good for you to endure, overcome, and not lead somebody else through the adversity that they have to face. And so that would be the three things I would say, man, lean into it, learn from it and lead after it, lead through it. Um, and, and they'll find that, um, that no matter what circumstances life throws at them, they'll be successful in handling them. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, again, appreciate the words of wisdom. That was Pastor Maurice Coffey, uh, the godly man. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us, and we can't wait to have you on again. Uh, thank you. Hey, man, appreciate yep. you, fellas. Appreciate you. appreciate you so much. And uh, I'll see you guys soon or talk to you guys soon. And anytime you want to hear me come on and ramble, man, just let me know. Hey, we will definitely take you All on the time. again. <laughs> yes, sir.